Our scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 6. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, says everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Grab a seat, everyone. We're in a time, interesting time in church history and uh, in a very exciting time in lots of ways where God is doing something in the church. He's uh, something of a pruning going on, but there's a real sense of a um, kind of wave of God's renewing uh, presence and spirit coming and just really blessing the church. And uh, last week, we're going to do a little bit of a mini-series um, talking about the need for, in this time, passion to be greater than complacency. Last week, we explored this idea that, um, that we live in this world of both misplaced desires, but also a place that is uh, lethargic and detached and has lost passion. So it either places passion in the wrong places or it's lost passion completely. And, uh, and basically, we're, we're trying to restore this idea that the kingdom is a culture that's passionate. And that's normal. The normal kingdom culture is passionate. And, uh, and so, therefore, God's people are called to be a passionate people. Man, <laughs> I was like preaching into a black hole this morning. Uh, glad to see that last week's sermon really sunk in and landed home and we're trying to live that out. So anyway, uh, whatever, well, Lord, this is your church, hallelujah. Um, so I want to I, I explore just a bit further because like, I feel this very, very deeply. Like I'm just like, man, I have never felt more alive as a follower of Jesus, let alone as a pastor, than I have at this time. And, uh, and I'm very uh, encouraged because while everyone is pretty tired because of daylight savings, I presume, this morning, across the board there is a sense in our church of just this great passion that's really beginning to get stirred up. That's very sovereign for Jesus and for his way. And, um, and so uh, we're really calling our church to, to a place of, an, of greater intention, of greater devotion to the Lord. And one of the ways that we're doing that is we're going to have a time of a season of prayer and fasting from the 30th of October to the 20th of November, 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, we're going to do that for two reasons. The second reason is because we um, believe that's the next step in terms of a building. We really need a building every week. I was just even driving in with Luke today. We're talking about a few things that we just would love to be doing that we can't do well because we don't have a building. Um, so that's the main reason, number one reason, is his presence. <laughs> we long for him. Like, so we want breakthrough in terms of provision, but the main thing we're after is just more of him. That's the number one thing. So we're doing this whole season of 21 days of, of prayer and fasting. And so I want to explore the topic of fasting. Uh, and, um, and it's okay to be muted this morning when it comes to this, because not many topics are going to, this is one of those where it's like, oh no. And trust me, that's my reaction every time. As I said last week, I've got a black belt in feasting. I don't have a black belt in fasting. And so this is a, a definitely a growth era for me. In my 20s, uh, I felt called to uh, go to Bible college. And in fact, I left high school. I was 18. I went to Bible college to study theology for a number of years. And um, just because I did have the sense of call, even though I was wrestling with that into ministry, uh, so I went and studied theology. And, um, and I remember at Bible college, it must be my, I think it was my second year there, just a sense of like, I want more. You know, I want more of God. And you know, a Bible college isn't 
like a discipleship. It's not YWAM or some discipleship thing. It's an academic institution, you know, which is good. That's what it's meant to do. It's not, you know, it's meant to help train people to think critically and to engage with the scriptures well. It's hard work though. It wasn't, you know, fun. I'm glad I did it, but it wasn't fun. But there's still in the midst of it, you've got this spiritual dynamic where you're like, I want, you know, I'm there because I'm devoted to God and I want more of Him. And so I thought, you know, well, how can I outwork this? I thought, I'll go, I'll, I'll try fasting. I hadn't done this before. So I'll give fasting a crack, you know. I want to be hardcore for Jesus. Had dreadlocks and I want to be hardcore for Jesus, you know. And so I'll go fasting. So I got this, I put, you know, I packed a little bag with a tent and uh, and just and, and there was this um, beach and some barley sugars, actually. Uh, I remember that. Um, and I I went and I, there was a secret bay where you could uh, you know surf a secret surf break. I knew where it was. So I sort of hiked to this beach. I didn't have my surfboard, and I, I set up the tent and. Um, and then the struggle began. I mean, I'm hour one, and it's like the surf's cranking, and I'm just suddenly just like, why didn't I bring my board? This is ridiculous. And then it turns out when you fast, you get really hungry. So again, there's this whole like, it was really just new to me. I was like, oh man, I'm really hungry. And so I hit those barley sugars so hard. Like I just, they were gone within like a couple of hours. Like the barley sugars were gone. But then I'm like, nah, nah, you know. So I get to the end of the first day and, it's, and I'm in my little tent suffering. <laughs> and it's like the only, the, 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 the demonic attack can't be overstated. The only thing I could think about was this butter chicken store in the mall in Westfield, out in West Auckland. I mean, that's the only thing that I could think about. And my, I'm not exaggerating, I don't preach to tell big stories, my pillow was just dripping with drool uh, by about 10 o'clock, where I'm just lying there, just like, all I can think about is the butter chicken. Now, I would love to stand before you this morning to say that I followed through on my three-day fast. But I gotta tell you, at six o'clock in the morning, I'm packing up that tent. <laughs> And by 10 o'clock, I'm sitting in Westfield Mall ordering that buttered chicken. And, and i got to tell you, it was really disappointing. It, it didn't taste how I just spent the night dreaming of. That was my first foray into fasting here, friends. Okay, so we're not, I'm not standing before you as I'm spiritual giant when it comes to the whole fasting gig. I've had my fails. I've had my fails. But I tell you what, I, I, that was the first crack at fasting. I learned a little bit more since then. And fasting has been a, a, a spiritual discipline that I've found incredibly helpful in my life. And primarily, I've used it in these moments where I've needed God to speak or I've needed God's breakthrough. Um, and so, for example, um, when me and Jen got married, just before we got married, uh, the senior pastor of our old church in Christchurch had approached us and said, would you consider leaving with Wellington to go to Christchurch? And, um, and you know, I was like, yeah, we, we wrestled with him. To, and then on our honeymoon... We had a day of fasting, um, <laughs> which is again Jimmy Jesus alert, right? It's like um, where it was because we're just seeking God about this decision, and the same thing before we moved here, and a number of other times where it's like we're just fasting was an important thing in terms of uh, seeking God. Um, and but but it's interesting because um, I've never been passionate about fasting uh, until recently. Because what God's doing at the moment in the church, um, not just in Little Bay Vineyard, but around the world is very interesting. And there is a fresh hunger for God that's been stirred up in the church. That's very sovereign and very deep. And fasting is a great spiritual tool 
to use to express that hunger for God and to get that radical edge back in terms of like passion for him. John Tyson, who's just one of my apostolic heroes, says, there is nothing that unleashes the power of God, intimacy with Jesus, clarity to hear the voice of God, tangible blessing in my life other than fasting. And yet at the same time, it's the one thing I hate the most. <laughs> and he tells this great riff where he's like, you know, you, any, you, anyone that's done fasting for more than a couple of days gets this. Like after about day two or three, the first couple of days are tough, but after day two or three, you do just start hearing the voice at a whole other level. It's just like whirls it and you sense his presence at a whole new dimension. It's just intense. And you're like, why don't I do this all the time? And then Tyson's like, because then you see that little bit of boiled, like deep fried chicken that's cold that's sitting on your mate's couch with a bit of sticky sauce, you know, sweet and sour sauce that... That, you know, and you're like, that's why, because <laughs> it looks so good. <laughs> and I just want that more than the, you know, the breakthrough in my life. Um, but this is where fasting is this whole thing of like leaving the kingdom of comfort to contend and to lean into the kingdom of God and to contend for more, to dethrone King's stomach for a while. And we live in this culture of excess and luxury and addiction. And and I know that all of us struggle that at the desires of our, of our body, of our flesh, can have this hold over us. And uh, fasting is one of these, these spiritual disciplines that um, puts the flesh in its place. We'll talk about that in a second. And the passage I've just read out, Jesus assumes that for his disciples, there'll be three uh, key disciplines in, his li- in their life. There's three things he hits. Um, he uh, he talks in this passage about giving and about prayer and about fasting. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Now, the first two, giving and prayer, we may wrestle with, but for the most part, I reckon Christians are on a journey with those first two, right? But fasting's just super neglected, eh? I mean, Jesus, and, and again, it's really important that we understand, like in this passage, he's not saying you must fast. So it's not a command, but there is a bit of presumption when you fast. There's a bit of presumption that his followers are going to give and they're going to pray and they're going to fast. And uh, and there is a, like, man, like with all of these things, like I've said this a lot of times, but I just, I've got to keep repeating it. Everything Jesus calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. So why does he want us to be generous? Because of the best possible way to live. There's free, freedom and joy in, in living a generous life. Prayer, I mean, you know, Philip, where do you begin? Prayer's the portal to the, the, to the soul you long for. You, you, you tap into the source of all love, joy, and peace. You, do, like, you cultivate a life of prayer. Fasting's got the same potency to bring breakthrough and just a whole new level of intimacy with God, but we neglect it. It's interesting, John Mark in his book, Live No Life, says, until recent history, fasting was one of the core practices of the way of Jesus. For hundreds of years, the church would fast twice a week, Wednesdays and Fridays. That is just what you did if you were a Christian. In the fourth century, when the church developed the practice of Lent, it was originally a fast similar to Islam's Ramadan. Uh, And interestingly, some people believe that Islam um, uh, appropriated what they saw the Christians doing with Lent to begin to form Ramadan. Um, uh, As a lead up to Easter, followers of Jesus would wake up and go without food until sunset for 40 days every year. Um, So this was like John Wesley literally wouldn't ordain any priest in the Methodist church if they didn't fast Wednesdays and Fridays. 
I was like, you don't do that? Oh, sorry, mate. We'll just, you know, maybe tidy up your discipleship to Jesus. And when you're actually following him properly, then we can have a chat about being a pastor. You know, it's like, oh. And again, like the Wesleyan revival was hardcore. Like what God was doing through Wesley is insane in terms of like an outpouring of the spirit, of the spirit that was stewarded by people hungry for Jesus. Stewarded by people who actually applied these spiritual disciplines to their life. So let's, so let's unpack what is fasting. Super obvious, Captain Obvious here. Stated simply, according to Richard Foster, biblical fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. That's the basic whole thing. Now, I, I've got a, there's an asterisk when it comes to fasting, and obviously I'm hitting that this morning, and everyone's wishing that they had just slept in and just uh, gone with the rest of the guys for the long weekend or whatever, but hey, you've made it here to church, so enjoy the conviction burger that you're getting handed out. Um, now, for some people, when it, some people, the whole relationship with food thing can be tricky because for some people, medically, abstaining from foods, you just can't do that. I get that. And some people have had a funky relationship with food because historically that's been a big issue for them in terms of not eating for the wrong reasons and all that sort of thing. So, I get, so, you know, I understand that there's that dimension. So grace and peace, there's no... All of, this, all of these practices are portals to Jesus and they're just one practice that's a portal to Jesus. You don't do the practices to be a good Christian. You do the practices because we love Jesus. And if you can't do this practice, there's another practice you can do that will have the same result. And all of these are a means of grace. So again, we don't do this to be good before Jesus. We do this uh, to pursue him and to position ourselves in the place to receive all that he has for us. But when Jesus says, it is finished, it is finished. To everything that needs to be done for you to be right and have a right relationship with Jesus. You are free, hallelujah. Let grace be deposited in your heart. We do not do, we focus, as a, we focus hugely on practices in this church because discipleship has been neglected for a number of decades now and we're paying a big price for it. So we're restoring discipleship to the church, but grace undergirds it all. So, so Paul says, so now let us live up to what we've already attained in Philippians 3.16. So you've been declared righteous, let's learn to be righteous. We, we are, we are, we're trying to be disciples of Jesus, to, to put into practice into our lives the way of Jesus, which means that year in, year out, your lifestyle changes more and more to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did if he was you. I had someone say in this church once, who was wrestling with the concept of spiritual disciplines, he says, yeah, mate. From time to time, I'll just open up the bonnet and look in the engine and see if we're good. And, and, I, and Jesus is like, we're good. And I'm like, that's 100% true. Every time you lift the hood to see if you're good with Jesus, it's good. You're fine because of what he's done on the cross. Hallelujah. That's 100% the truth. But I'm telling you what, you're missing out though if you're not discipled to Jesus. And I'm just like, nothing changes in terms of when you go, when you die and all the rest of it. But I tell you what, I want everything he has, especially a soul filled with love and joy and peace. And so that as I just choose to follow the way of Jesus and, and increasingly orientate my life around his way, I'm tapping into the source of it all, of all goodness, of all life. Even in my suffering, I can discover this. And so fasting is, uh, is to abstain from food. Now, we've, I, I want to gently say this. We've, we've kind of like um, diluted a little bit the fasting thing. Like Lent's kind of come back into the church, which is awesome. I'm all, I'm all over that. Um, and, but then like we've kind of just made fasting like social media or chocolate or coffee. And that's not fasting. That's abstinence from some stuff, which is still good. I'm like, that's really healthy. But biblical fasting is I don't eat the food. And that's what I'm calling us to. Okay? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good. It's actually meant to be a little bit hardcore. It's meant to have some teeth. It's meant to disrupt our normal ways of life in a way that reflects our hunger for God. If you look at a biblical dictionary, in the you know, if you're a nerd, you'll just see a whole lot of uh, of devotion, like of just how it's everywhere in the scriptures um, as a way of responding to things, uh, of practicing it in times of suffering. Um, it's a, it is a spiritual discipline that's very common in the Scriptures. Now, the beautiful thing about the Bible, hallelujah, is that it has a theology of feasting as much as it has a theology of fasting. So it's not about just an ascetic of just, you know, just, you know, just suffer for Jesus the whole time. But it's the both and. We fast well and we feast well. And, uh, and that's what brings life. So, so there's a whole lot of weight here. You know, but, um, but, but so you've got to go underneath the So why is it such a big deal in the Bible? Why do they fast from time to time? Uh, and here's, there's a couple of ideas here. Firstly, fasting reveals the roots of our dependence. It reveals, uh, really, frankly, it reveals our idolatry. Um, Richard Foster says this, more than any other discipline, Fasting reveals the things that control us. And this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not going to stop. Um, and man, I, I'm, I, one of our, we've got a few cultural statements in our church. One of them is that we're all hypocrites in transition. So I'm not preaching here from like, and I've mastered all of this and I've got all these things sorted out. But I'm, I'm preaching because like, I need this. I need this. I've, um, and, you know, I've just felt a bit stirred up around fasting recently. Um, and so I've been doing it um, because I would never call, and I mean this with everything I have, I would never call our church into anything that I'm not prepared to, to outwork myself. Um, and all of our spiritual disciplines, I can preach with some degree of integrity because I'm applying it to my life. Sabbath and scripture reading and simplicity and fasting and generosity and blah, 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 blah. I'm living it and man, it's life-giving. It's life-giving. That's why I'm passionate about it. But um, interestingly, like with fasting, like one of the things I do is like, you know, that little finish line at the end of the day? Crackers and cheese, anyone? Man, I eat so much crackers and cheese. Like, I went to the doctor and my cholesterol isn't great. Oh, no, mum watches this as well. This isn't great. Anyway, whatever. Um, sorry, mum. But, you know, the crackers and cheese thing is, and it's like when I'm fasting, it's like, oh, man, I look to that. Now, it's not, I mean, it's not sinful in terms of, you know, naughty, naughty, naughty. But it may lead to an early demise if I keep it up. So, uh, you know, this is worth tidying up for sure. But it's more than that. It's like, man, Jesus, I want to look to you to deeply satisfy. Um, and like Piper, John Piper says this. this. is a longer quote, but it's worth it. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It's not the X-rated video, but the primetime dribble of triviality we drink in every night. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it's a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a husband or a wife. Luke 14, 18 to 20. It's worth reading that. I was reading that just like, whoa. And the husband and wife thing was like, whoa, 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 easy tiger. Uh, and it really hit me. I just felt the Lord say, never let your partner dictate your, your pace or your spiritual hunger for God. 
So don't let them set the temperature. Sometimes you just got to press in. Best thing you can do for your marriage normally anyway. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not from, for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Then next, Jesus said, some people hear the word of God and a desire for God is awakened in their hearts. But then as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And the pleasures, Luke 18, 8 to 14. In another place, he said, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The pleasures of life and the desires for other things, these are not evil in themselves. These are not vices. These are gifts from God. They are your basic meat and potatoes and coffee and gardening and reading and decorating and traveling and investing and TV watching and internet surfing and shopping and exercise and collection and doing it. And all of them can become deadly substitutes for God. So what can happen is that God's gifts can so get in the way that we lose sight of the gift giver. And what fasting does is it strips away the gifts so that we can have a greater clarity and purity of sight with the gift giver. It helps reorder our desires. Immediately following the statement on fasting that I just read, Jesus then begins to speak about a couple of other things. He's like, uh, immediately goes on to say, as this is in the context of fasting, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. This is the water that we swim in. So, right? If your eyes are healthy, so this is in the context of greed, you can't see greed. You just can't. If you, but if, if you're generous, your eye is healthy. And your body's full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And even if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You think there's a light, but it's darkness. Because there's a so fasting strips away some stuff so that we can begin to see with clarity the desires of our heart. Very powerful. It, it does something to reorder our desires. So they're used for the purposes of God. As we've been saying, and John Mark mentions, your strongest desires are not your deepest desires. Your strongest desires are not. So my desire for, cre- for cheese and cracker, crackers is not my deepest desire. <laughs> my deepest desire is to be so satisfied in Jesus <laughs> that I don't look to other things. But I have this strong desire in the moment to eat some cheese and crackers. <laughs> and fasting helps me. Put Jesus in the right place. Second thing is that fasting purifies. And we've talked about this in Live No Lies. Paul's goal in, uh, in his writings is that we'll be lived by the Spirit, not the flesh. Rather than being slaves to our emotions and our desires, these things become servants of the rightly ordered heart under the Lordship of Jesus. And we live in a culture, we swim in a world uh, driven by the flesh, the desires of the flesh. And so it requires a radical decision to choose to be led by the Spirit. It doesn't just happen because you want it. It happens because you choose to apply a lot of the practices that we're talking about to your life. And fasting is one of these spiritual disciplines that puts the flesh in the right place. I, this is part of me, this is why I love, I, I think I'm beginning to, to love fasting. Ooh, I think there's part of me that's, that all of a sudden has begun to see it. And honestly, it's starting to, I think, and the Lord's calling me to move it from the occasional thing to a regular part of my spiritual rhythms, which is a big thing for me. Um, but partly because I, I genuinely want more of God. Like, I really do. It is my deepest desire. 
is more of him. And yet, often, you know, I'll be in these sorts of environments or conferences or listen to podcasts, and I want it, but it so rarely translates to real terms, in terms of like a contending and a seeking and a reordering of my life to pursue him more and more. And why I think I'm beginning to fall in more in love with fasting is that it's literally a battle with my flesh, where I'm like, I just feel the fight when I'm fasting. And I like that. I like, I like it. Because I'm like, I want to I wanna wrestle with my flesh and, and tell it to sit down because I want Jesus more. And fasting does that. Honestly, I feel it, like this brave heart thing in me where I'm like, no, Jesus more. And then I'm like, and this is what's happening in the church right now is like this passion that I'm preaching with is not just Harvey's passion. There's a whole tribe of people where like we get together and all we do is talk like this because God is stirring up a passion in this community that's becoming a new normal. Hallelujah. Where we move, because it's like at what point will we live hardcore for Jesus? Right? Like I was driving this week in the car and I'm like, I'm so grateful I'm making decisions that are Brit hardcore finally because that gives me a high chance that when I'm in my 80s, looking back on this phase of my life, I'm not going, oh, what if I contended more or pressed in more? Because the Bible says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I'm going, I'm going into bat. Like we're in a spiritual war. So complacency has to be killed to be replaced with the normalized passion. So I'm going to war for this church, in the, like in, in the secret place. And I'm going for, and we're going to war for this region because <laughs> we are here to see the kingdom of God break in. Like the, there's no other alternative anymore. We either circle the wagons and just chill out and, and enjoy the slow demise of the Christian church in this place, or we go, passion is going to be greater than complacency, and I'm prepared to pick up my cross, and I'm prepared to join in the sufferings of Jesus, and I'm prepared to legitimately wage some war with my flesh so that I can press into more of God. And as I said last week, this passion is grounded in Sabbath rest. And this Sabbath has wisdom around it, so it's not just a flash in the pan short-term thing. We're talking about spiritual disciplines that become a walk with the Lord, left foot, right foot, I'm walking with God, left foot, this is just who I am now. And these things just become part of our lives. Uh, John Mark in his book, Live No Lies, says, this is why fasting, far from a medieval, medieval form of self-hate, when done rightly, is a pathway to freedom. Fasting is practicing suffering. It's teaching our bodies to suffer. Suffering is unavoidable in life, but joy is not. In fasting, we're learning how to suffer with joy. What scripture reading is to our fight with the devil, a way to fill our minds with truth to combat his lies. Fasting is to our fight with the flesh, a way to starve our flesh and weaken its hold over us. And, and I, that is so true from lived experience. Like the things that the crackers and cheese of our lives start to diminish in power as we get deeply satisfied with the source himself of all love, all joy, and all peace. So uh, fasting uh, reorders our desires, it purifies us, and, and thirdly, fasting releases a new intimacy. Um, I don't know why it is, but in the kingdom of God, the way he set it up, fasting brings us into new places of intimacy, power, and potency in his kingdom. 
There's something about, about fasting that releases something of just of, of potency and intimacy in the kingdom of God. Jesus began his ministry with a 40-day fast. Like he's fully human. That's hardcore. I've never done a 40-day fast. I mean, I know some people that have, but like, man, it's hardcore. And I love that the Bible's like, and at the end of it, he was hungry. So you think he looks like no. The devil comes and tempts him. And I think what I, John Mark had spoken to this a lot, and it's a fascinating point. He's like, he's like, man, I, I often thought that the devil came to, to Jesus when he was at his weakest. I kind of looked at it like that for a long time. But John Mark's like, I mean, this is a real gross misunderstanding of the reciprocal relationship between fasting and spiritual power. 40 days in, Jesus was at the height of his spiritual power and was able to wisely discern the devil's lies and dismiss his temptations with incredible skill. He was at the peak of his life. And then what happens, he comes out of the desert, the Bible says, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So like he had been anointed, he had been baptized and received the Holy Spirit. But then he went to the desert and through fasting, he came out with a whole new level of power in the Holy Spirit. And 101 Christian theology is that Jesus was fully human and fully God. We've got to wrestle with that. But everything he did was from his humanity filled with the same Holy Spirit that's available to us. So, so that's why we can imitate the way of Jesus and do what he did. We have the same power available to us that Jesus used himself. And so uh, we are living in a time where um, doing the usual sort of church stuff is just not enough. Like we need a new wineskin, which ironically is coming back to the spiritual disciplines that have been there throughout church history. And for once in the Western church, actually living them. Like that's what we need in this moment, is not just doing the nice Sunday service stuff, it's followers of Jesus deeply committed to his way, carrying his power and the potency of the kingdom and an intimacy with him and in the secret place through prayer and fasting, growing in an authority to break down the very real strongholds in this region and in this place. Can he do it? Yes, he can, Bob the Builder and Jesus, right? Yes, he can. And that's a prophetic word for our church because this, you will grow, your, your faith will grow as you choose this way of Jesus. Like you'll start to actually believe that he can change cities and change regions. But where does revival begin? We draw a little bit of a chalk around us and say, begin right here, Lord, with me. And I've said this enough times. I believe in revival, but here's my definition. Revival is when personal renewal starts going viral. And so if we want to see a move of God in this place, we have to embody the move of God first in our own lives. And the next move of God, I'm convinced, is not going to be birthed in a meeting. It's going to be birthed in the private secret place. And I'm already beginning to see it happen around people in our church who, who are contending for that secret place and prioritizing their lives around Jesus. And, the, and then the Spirit of God is meeting them in radical ways where it's like legitimately a, move, a sovereign move of God that I believe if we keep choosing this is going to start going viral. So man, as you can tell, I am, I am, I'm so all in. I am so all in. I am covenantally committed to, to for the second half of my life to, to having no regrets around seeking the things of God. I, and I know many of you are with me. And it's like, let's go. You know, let's go. We've got to start living this out at some point. What better place than here? What better time than now? Let's go. They start contending for the things of God. And um, 
at the end of the day, friends, like, um, as I said in our little riff before, I'm going to start using this language. We have this agenda in the church, and that's to radicalize you in the way of Jesus. I want radicals. I want passion. You, you know, and you know why? Like, when you, if you look back in your life, the moments you were most alive were the moments you were most passionate. And the devil get, goes after passion. And so, uh, so we grow in wisdom to learn how to steward that passion. Sabbath, rest, margin. And, here's, and, and again, guys, to radicalize you in the way of Jesus is not asking you to do more. It's asking you to do a lot less. It's the ruthless elimination of hurry we're after. Ruthless elimination of hurry. And here's like really honest pastor talk. Lectin moves across. Really, let's have a little honest chat. Here's what's happened. Our church got planted four years ago. In the first year, as I look back now, I'm like, God just wanted to establish us as a community. At the end of that first year, he began speaking to me and our team around the vision for our church, around discipleship, and it wrecked us. And we're talking about it to this day. And we were like, we're going to give ourselves to forming disciples of Jesus to learn to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. How does that happen? By learning practices, the way of Jesus. So we started talking about devotional life, hard out, accountability around those things. We've, we've got modules on Sabbath stuff and walking into wholeness, becoming like him. We pay for a lot of counselors to help you know, folks as God begins to do so, all that sort of thing. So, so the church, you guys have responded beautifully. It's epic. And like we're now beginning to get some real momentum as it moves from one or two people deeply committed to the way of Jesus to growing numbers of people who have actually orientated their life to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. Very exciting. But this is what's happened, is that people have, have added the way of Jesus without a major change of lifestyle and pace. And, and the next stage for us is a major reorientation of the entirety of our life so that Jesus is the center. And that he's in charge of our diaries. And we do what he calls us to do and nothing more. And that we do less, not more. Because no one needs more in their life. Everyone's exhausted. But Jesus says, come to me and be yoked to me. And as you do that, you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The way of, I'll bring rest for your souls. So I'm like, there's this new thing. And and, and I'm not saying that to judge. I'm like, literally, that's been my journey. And then I'm in this moment now where I'm like, I'm radically reordering my life more and more and more around his way. And this fasting dynamic is, is part of that. It's like, man, we're, like, we're, we're going to actually go for it in this church. And if you're, if you're up for it, you're going to find this to be the safest church in the world. And if you're not, you're going to find it really uncomfortable. And I'm sorry about that. But, but there's just, I'm sorry, we, we've just got to go for it. <laughs> because the, the stakes are too high. Like, you guys, are, you guys have got your eyes open. The church is struggling around the Western world. And like the secular forces are so strong. And it's because we've lost our way. So we're restoring the radical edge in terms of discipleship to Jesus. And we live in a time where we need that power, that intimacy, and we need people freed from the power of the flesh, a holy people. And we believe that God is responsive. Like we say that we believe in a God who hears and answers prayer. He actually acts differently than he would based on the actions and prayers of his people. And so let me be really clear, like fasting and all that sort of stuff is not a manipulative device by which you know, a fasting person assumes that he or she can pressure God into doing something that he or she wants. Fasting is not a way we jump ahead in the journey of prayer, but it's a way we pray. Uh, 
And so fasting is just one important method of engaging your entire person, not just your mind, in prayer. Fasting fosters this internal intimacy, a place where God's voice has more room. It's not a hunger strike. It's a way of expressing to God our hunger for Him, for more of Him. And so fasting, as simple and primitive and ancient as it as it is, still demonstrates a whole person's earnest need and hunger for God and for His presence. And, uh, and so the power, as I said, is not in the practice. The practice is a portal to the person who has the power, and His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And I don't know why He set it up in the economy of God, but He has. It's this gateway to power and fresh intimacy with Him. And so as we do this prayer and fasting season uh, beginning next term, we're going to do a series alongside it called Seek First. And because that word has, re- that whole seek first the things of his kingdom and all, and, and, and all the rest will be added unto you. But often we're like, I want to have all the things added and I want to seek you as well. But it's not seek first, it's seek. But we're like, seek first. I'm like, oh, Okay. That's a whole. Th- That's what the Lord's doing in our church at the moment. It's seek first. It's you. It's you. I'm seeking you first. And as I say, I'm not asking us to do more. I'm actually asking us to do less. To to uh, we don't add these things to our busy lives. We just we we say we seek you first, Jesus, and order all of our life around you first. All of our life around you first. Ah, okay. I'm going to come into land in a second. In fact, you know what I might do before we come to land? Mike, are you up? Okay, Mike, there's not an option now. Mike, would you mind coming up? And Megan, who I haven't primed at all. Megan, where are you? Do you want to come up? I'm going to um, spontaneously interview you quickly, uh, and then I'm going to give my closing riff, and then we're going to pray. But um, uh, there have been a number of people in our church that have just uh, in the same space in terms of like just this this fresh devotion to God, and has been manifesting and practicing the fasting practice. Mike, you can go, no, Megan, you can go first. No, Mike, go first, because I gave Mike a bit of warning. I gave Mike, I, well, very, uh, whatever. Mike, yeah. do you want to just tell us a little bit about what the Lord's been doing and how fasting's played a little bit of part of it? I know it's early days, full honesty, fine. Um, I did a bit of fasting uh, through the Emotional Healthy Spirituality, um, which helped me push through some stuff. I sort of fell into it without really knowing the why of it, I guess. Um, and now I'm just sort of dabbling with um, some some fasting in terms of um, just a day fast, just for, for prayer, just sort of fight the flesh, I guess, and just fight some things that have been holding me back. Um, Can you tell about like what, like how that experience has been in terms of engagement with God through that? Like, how's it been? Um, I guess it's that time when you feel like you should be eating, you um you're like, oh well, what else am I going to do? I guess I'll pray, and then so you you sort of pray, and then and then then you pray some more, and then uh, and then you realise you've been praying all day when instead of eating all day, I guess. Yeah. Awesome. Let's give Mike a hand. That's cool, eh? And Megan, similar journey. Do you want to just talk about the hunger that's been? You know, it's funny because we talk we use fasting and hunger. This is so right. Like, there's been a hunger that's stirred, and so hunger for you, God's. I'm going to fast anyway, which means I'm hungry. But you know. Oh, I guess it all started when. Um we were starting the building project, and I said to Sam, hey, I reckon we should ground this in fasting. And again, my reaction was muted. <laughs> <laughs> and I've always, um, well, I've always gotten up early in the morning as my time, and I, and I have like an hour or so in the morning as my time. And then a number of years ago, I started fasting weekly. I'd do one day a week. 
and I do like food. And I've always said that exercise is a good reason why you can then eat more because food is so good. <laughs> Any resonance in the room here? Hey, preacher, sister. <laughs> but it's depressing when you do the maths. My dad once did them because he had that mentality about like, like half a morrow bar was about three hours on the blinking rowing machine and he got really discouraged, but you know, whatever. So anyway... Sam called me out to everyone to say I had helped plant this idea. I'm like, oh, man, now that's accountability, right? So um, I let it sit, and I thought, oh, yeah, okay. No one kind of spoke to me about it. All good, sweet as. Then Sam mentions it again, and I thought, well, hang on a sec. If we've got 21 days, because I had no idea about this, I kind of thought maybe it'll be the building project. We'll do a little fast, you know, a couple of weeks. All good. We'll get a vision, and we'll carry on. So now we're all in. Right, so we've now, we've now issued that out to the church to say, come on, join in on this 21-day fast for the church and let's see where it leads us and let's see what it stirs up in different individuals because we've all got a different calling on our life. Now I'm starting to preach. So 21 days, let's see what happens. So then I thought, okay, 21 days is a long time. I haven't fasted for about five years. So I thought I better actually get a little bit less rusty on this. So leading up to it, I thought, well, let's start, start doing like a weekly fast as we lead up to the 21 days. This week, first time I um, started to flex that muscle of mine, and um, I started with one day. I can do one day. Then I'm like, okay, that's okay. I did okay with that. Let's do another day and another day. And I tell you, every day in the morning, I got met in ways that I haven't been met for months. And I drove the car into work, I think it was on Thursday, and I had to sit in the car park because of how I was met and the transformative stuff that was happening. And this is the first time I've fasted in like five years. And for the day two and day, no, day two and day three was awesome. Day four, wheels came off. Bit of disruption in life, but you know what? Next week, I'm going to get up again and I'm going to do it again. And if, it's, if you can do one day, if you can only do one day between getting up and dinner time, that's awesome. I used to fast with food because I would get dizzy and stuff. Now I can fast with only coffee because coffee is my jam. So, you know, just see if you can practice, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Let's give Megan a hand. That's huge. Can you just begin to feel it? You know, like this is not just Sam getting fired up. There's something happening. And it's not just happening in Bay Vineyard. It's happening, there's something that God's doing around the world right now that we're beginning to step into. And the beauty of it is that I believe it's a move of God, but it's grounded in discipleship. Where before there was about the experience, now it's about formation. And that's, got, that's going to have a lot of legs on it in terms of a long-term impact of renewal in the church. So as we come into land, a couple of things. Number one, um, we shouldn't be surprised that God's on the move. The 24-7 prayer movement was very inspired by the Moravians who had a church this size and began a 24-7 prayer meeting that went for 100 years and sparked multiple moves of God. Get your head, this size. They were just up for it. Uh, And so then Pete Gregg was deeply inspired by that and their little church rebooted the 24-7 prayer movement, which has now been praying for 24-7, 24, right now they're praying, and they've been doing that for the last 25 years. 
we here in our church have done our little prayer meeting on Sunday nights consistently now for three years. And in that place, we've asked for God to shake us and stir us up and pour out His Spirit on His church and call us to be. And, and what we're experiencing is the answer to those faithful prayers. We shouldn't be surprised that stuff begins to happen. We've been asking for it. We've been asking Him for it. And He's the God that hears and answers prayer. And so it's up to you, though, how deep you want to get in. There's a shallow end of the pool, and then there's the deep end of the pool. A lot of the noise for a pastor comes from the shallow end of the pool, it turns out. But I'm, I want to hang out with people in the deep end. And I want to call us into the deep end of the pool. And so in terms of response, there's two, obviously, responses. Uh, firstly, um, there's the, I'm, I, we are we're calling our church to a corporate fast. Now, that we are not asking you to fast for 21 days. Some of us may do that. That's fine. We're, we're just saying... Work out between you and the Lord what that could look like. Play your part, please. Ask the Lord, what does it look like? Uh, and for some people, a day a week over those three weeks would be just unreal. Like that's going to stretch you. And if you haven't done fasting before, I'd start there. If you can fast food. If you can't fast food, there may be some other way to participate in the sufferings so that we ask for more of God. Um, so I'm asking you just to consider uh, what that could look like. But for that to be a contending thing, not to be like, I'm like, man, let's go. Again, let's not wonder what if. Let's, let's, let's jump in the deep end and go, all right, Lord, I'm up for it. So that's the first. The second thing is we're going to begin exploring uh, the whole thing of fasting in terms of a spiritual discipline in the same way we talk about reading Scripture, having a quiet time, Sabbath rest, walking into wholeness. It's spiritual discipline. So what is it like to have as a regular, just part of your rhythm? I never thought I'd preach this. <laughs> you know, only doing it because the Lord sometimes asking me those questions. As goes the leader, goes the church. So I'm like, all right, Lord, what does it look like for me to take this seriously at a whole new level in the second half of my life? To be a person who doesn't talk about contending but lives a life of contending prayer for this church and for this region. And so um, that's where we're in. You know, I dreamed one day of having a real big church. And the Lord's dealt with my ego and all the rest of it. And I, I now, like, he can do what he wants. But what my dream is, is it's a deep church. It's a deep church. Because it uh, turns out it doesn't, the size is nothing. Health is everything. And, like, healthy things grow. So I'm like, yep, of course, if it doesn't lead to mission and to people coming to faith and to church growing, there's something wrong. Healthy things grow. And, but it's got to be healthy. So I'm continuing, like, I want this deep place because... I just know of so many churches that weren't big but shook regions and shook nations and shook the world. The Moravians just turned, I mean, I could tell story after story about that. So I'm just like, yeah. So, and also, I made peace with the fact that a lot of people are happy to be spectators. And like, and I do want this to be a place where the train stops at every station. So, so you can jump on board whenever you want. There's no like, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to preach to the hungry. I'm going to preach to the people that are up for it, that are on the train, ready to go. And so there's this deep peace in my heart where I just know there's going to be a sizable chunk of people that pick up the wheel, pick up the challenge and be like, yeah, man, I'm in. I'm going, to, I'm going to go for it and see what God does. And the Bible says, he promises, he rewards those who diligently seek him. What does it look like for that to express itself in real terms? Move from the thinking about seeking him to the actually seeking him. I'm up for it. Let's stand together and pray.